0: My understanding is that exam time is coming for um, some students, or at least it's on the horizon. In the United States, they have this thing called teaching to the test, where they know what the students are going to be examined on, so they say, I want to help you get ready for that. And that's why I've called what Jesus does here in this passage a master class in discipleship by Jesus. I call it a master class because we have seen Jesus stop by the roadside and get a, a, you know, basically standing around and talking to them and saying to them three times, I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected. But now he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffered. He has arranged for this what we think of as this upper room, this catered Passover meal. He wants them focused on what he's going to be saying. Now, we know from the Gospels, from all four of the Gospels, that three that I'm going to, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're going to look at what they say about this passage that we're looking at. But yet we know that in John's gospel, which was the last gospel to be written, you have from John 13 all the way through John 17, other things that he said to them. Things that are important about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Probably the most important thing that we remember is, how is the world going to know that we're the disciples of Jesus Christ What did Jesus tell them, remember? By the way you love each other. Now, in this passage that we're going to look at, Jesus brings together three themes from his teaching before this as he gets ready to go to Jerusalem, or he's in Jerusalem getting ready for the next day, his trial and his death. What I think of is these three themes that we've seen, both the, the kingdom of God, the blood of the covenant, and the son of man. He takes those ideas and he weaves them together and he brings them to us because he wants to give us something that Paul will say, we are to practice, we are to do, we are to repeat until he comes again. So part of the message of Easter Remember what Jesus said? Die, resurrection. This is what he wants us to do to remember him. The message of Easter, as we've said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. The celebration of the Lord's Supper is something that has a a complicated and messy and divisive history. In the Reformation time in the 1500s, it had become so corrupt, so far away from what God had intended, from what scripture described, that some people wondered if it could be redeemed. Or they brought it in so close and so treasured that that nobody could touch it. I know from 40 plus years of being a pastor, working with churches, working with churches to renew them, that when a church is birthed, when it is born, when it comes into being, it has a DNA. And churches struggle when they want to change that. In my home denomination in the United States, as people have have come to change and think about the Lord's Supper, in some churches it takes three to five years to change, to understand how they will practice it in their church. Church. Because, see, it has to be owned by the people. The Lord's Supper is not something that, that you just say, oh, you must do it this way. No. We know that certain kinds of change has to be shepherded. You know, when I think about all the, the ways people that I know celebrate the Lord's Supper... You know, we have round communion cherries, and you have wine on the outside, grape juice on the inside. You have some that are all wine, some that are all grape juice. You have local bread. You have flat bread. You have kosher bread. You have other kinds of bread that people can can take. There are times when people adapt to what they can. I I remember reading stories about celebrating the Lord's Supper with with soda crackers and Kool-Aid in North Vietnamese prison camps because that's all they could get. But they wanted to know, they wanted to touch and to taste what God had promised them. there is a a balance in the service between do this in remembrance of me and this is, in other words, the presence of God. Because, see, he has given us this meal in in the midst of a cruel, powerful world, the new covenant, in the blood of the Son of Man brought in the kingdom of God. I want to say that again because we recognize that the world can be cruel and powerful. We look at the Roman world. That the church was born into and spread. But the new covenant in the blood of the Son of Man was brought, brought in the kingdom of God. The punishment of the cross became the tree of life. Now, I want to... Look at the Son of Man, the blood of the new covenant, and the kingdom of God. Remember I, I said that the Son of Man, that term, that, that self-name, that name that he gave himself again and again when he would speak, was rooted in scripture in Daniel 7, and it's about the nations. But it reminds us that, that we have to accept Jesus as he presents himself to us, not as we wish he was. So many times we want to remake somebody into what we want them to be rather than say, who are you? And Jesus continues 29 times here in the Gospel of Matthew, almost 70 times in the three synoptic Gospels, to use this term from Daniel chapter 7. Because one of the things that we'll see in this passage is that that all three are rooted in the Old Testament, all rooted in God's revelation. So he brings up this name that he has taken for himself. Some of you may know children, or maybe it was you, who got to a certain age and says, I want to be called. And they changed their name. Jesus started using the Son of Man so that people would begin to realize that he was the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. He was the one that was going to come and redeem the nations. Remember how I said that was one of those milestone markers about the nations and the blessings that started in Genesis 12 and goes to the book of Revelation with all the nations, all the tribes, all the languages. So the Son of Man brings with him this promise from Genesis 12 that God is going to bless all the nations... And so what's going to happen on the cross is not just for that small group of people, not just for the Roman Empire, but for the whole world, all the nations, all the languages, all the people. But yet he gets very personal in this passage. He talks about the blood of the covenant, and then at the end we're going to talk about the betrayal. Betrayal. We have studied the covenant. We have spent time looking at the covenant. We go back to Genesis 15 when God split those animals. The fire went through them to form that covenant. And here he is renewing it and calling it the new covenant. But he's doing that in the context of a Passover celebration. Remember at the beginning of this sermon series I preached on Passover. How the blood and faith was put over The doorposts and the sides of the door, so that when the angel of death came over, the firstborn in that family, in that household, would be protected. And Jesus has come as the Lamb of God, who takes away our sins. He is the Passover Lamb. The blood of the covenant is mentioned in all three of the synoptic, in other words, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in their accounts. Let me read you from Matthew 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you. And this is a profound part of what Matthew records. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. You see how in that Matthew passage he makes it clear that we understand that the blood of the new covenant was for the forgiveness of our sins. So that when you have a worship service that includes the Lord's Supper, you have the confession of sins and the assurance of pardon from the words But then in the words, in something you can touch and taste, you know again that your sins are forgiven. That he gives you that cup of the new covenant. And what a blessing, what a a message that our generation needs is that our sins are forgiven because of the blood of Christ. Because he's made that commitment, because he's brought us into his family, he's adopted us. He uses that covenant language. And I think as we come away from worship, whether we have the Lord's Supper or we don't, we should know that our sins are forgiven. I've said again and again that in our age of anxiety and loneliness, part of that solution is people knowing that their sins are forgiven, that they don't have to feel shame, that they can know that they are forgiven. And sometimes people know something's wrong, but they don't know what it is, and it turns out to be it's guilt, it's shame. That they know that they've done things, that they hide, that they keep from others, that doesn't want people to know them because they're afraid, if you know me, you're going to know my shame, you're going to know my guilt. And that's what Christ takes away on the cross. come to the idea of the kingdom of God. You see, it's the blood of the new covenant that makes us subjects of the kingdom. That when he was resurrected, we have the now but not yet of the kingdom of God, that it's here and it's coming. I was sitting praying over the worship service and praying over the sermon today, and I looked out into my backyard I said, you know, it's kind of like those trees. A lot of the trees in my yard have the buds. And some of the flowers are coming out. But the buds are the now. And the bloom, you know, it's, it's not right now. Not yet. But when they bloom is when they come out. And that's where their beauty is. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It was purchased by the blood of Christ. It was inaugurated by the blood of Christ. It was initiated when the Holy Spirit fell upon those people at Pentecost from all the nations. And they heard the gospel in their own languages. But you see, in a day that we live in, we need to know who's in charge. See, we can't confuse the kingdom of God with any kingdoms or empires we might build. See, that was one of the problems that the church struggled with for centuries. Thinking they had to bring in the kingdom by either the power of the sword or the power of force conformity. You've got to dress like this. You've got to act like that. And what happened in some cases is the people would pull their curtains so that the neighbors didn't know what was going on. Because they felt like they were being judged. They didn't feel like God had forgiven them, that he was in charge. That people had raised up the manners and the standards of men in place of God. I tell stories again, repeat them, but I'm going to repeat this story. One of the evangelists that was involved in the revival on the Isle of Harris. He'd been out preaching the day before and he was getting ready to come to Sunday morning. And he looked down and it had been raining and his black shoes were just covered with mud. He says, I don't have time to clean these. So he goes to his suitcase and pulls out a clean pair of brown shoes, puts them on, and he gets to church and the elders say, why didn't you wear black shoes? That was more important to that elder than the Holy Spirit coming on the people the hearing the word of God. When I was in college, people were concerned about whether you had long or short hair. I mean, how can you be a hippie and be a Christian? We could go through generations of generations of how man-made rules surpass the kingdom of God rules, God's words. And see, I think one of the things that, you know, if you want to say, okay, where do you start knowing about the kingdom of God, how to live it? Go to John 13 and read through 17. (laughs) That's Jesus getting his disciples ready to live without him. Can you imagine people who had been with Jesus for three years, and all of a sudden they realize they're going to have, they're not going to have Him. First, He's talking about death and resurrection. And oh, what what I want to say in this about this master class about Jesus' teaching? Nobody passed. They ran away. They denied. They betray, Judas betrayed. He brought them back together and forgave them, and when the Holy Spirit came upon them, he then sent them out into the world to change the world, to change the nations. You see, he gave us a kingdom in the world of empires. See, a kingdom at its heart is about inheritance. The covenant at its heart is about inheritance. Remember when Jesus tells the story about the good Samaritan? What's the context of that? You have this guy who comes and says, what must I do to inherit You didn't realize as we get to the end of that Samaritan story and Jesus says, the one who showed mercy. The only reason I inherit is because God has shown mercy. The only reason I'm in the kingdom of God is because he has shown mercy to me. See, empires grow by, basically by theft. You see somebody's property line and you go across and take it. You see somebody else's island and you go take it. You turn people into slaves. See, the kingdom of God is about God ruling in justice and mercy for all his people. And that's why, let me read from Mark 14, his account. As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He was getting them ready for something to change. He was getting them ready for somebody else to be in charge. So that we can talk about the kingdom of God and know that he is there. That is why people in distress and poverty can look to God and realize, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, but I know that you're the one who wants it to change, wants me to change because of the shed blood of Christ. One of the things that happens when people come into contact with God and we are forgiven is that it humbles us. And I think humility is so important because if we're walking around in pride, we really don't get it, what God has done. It humbles us and it makes us kind and compassionate because God has been kind and compassionate to us. but then he tells them another part of the story remember how he's been getting us ready by saying I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised and then that third time he brings in the idea of crucifixion and being resurrected on the third day and now he says I'm going to be betrayed by one of you now we know from the the scripture text that, that they're wondering well, who's it going to be who's it going to be to survive that kind of betrayal. Somebody you thought you knew, somebody who had been part of your life for three years, as you follow Jesus, as you eat with the 5,000, as you, all the things that they did and shared with Jesus Christ, Judas still decided at the end that the money was worth more than the loyalty, that Jesus really needed to be stopped because what he was going to do isn't what Judas thought should happen. And so he's betrayed. Now, Peter betrayed him by denial. The others betrayed him by fleeing. Many of them couldn't even pray with him. You think about all the failures that are there, but yet this is the way Jesus said it was going to happen. That the Redeemer and Lord gives us something that we can do in remembrance of him. Now, in two weeks, an Easter evening, we're going to, we are invited to be a part of our community communion service where I'll be preaching that night. But I really encourage you to come and share the bread and the wine and grape juice. Um, to come share that with your fellow Christians. See, every time I teach about Jesus, I want to enrich your mind so that when you do this in remembrance to me, you have more in your memory about who Jesus was and what he did. And you realize, remember, all of this was voluntary. He's getting them ready for what he knows is going to happen to himself. He's going to come, as he said, three times, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, I'm going to be crucified, in three days I'll be resurrected. And now he says, and one of you is going to betray me. Do you see the tragedy in this death? Do you see the drama in this death? That this one-time event in the life of Jesus Christ that he gives, because again and again, every time he says, my blood is poured out for you. My blood is poured out for many. My blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do you see how Scripture teaches us and reminds us and enriches us and encourages us about what his death is all about, this blood of the covenant, that commitment that God makes to be our Father, to redeem us from our sins. See, I don't want anybody in this congregation to leave today without understanding that their sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ. No matter what they are, how private they are, how long ago they are. Remember a couple weeks ago when we used Psalm 25 and it says, Remember not the sins of, of my youth. I know from my own experience, somebody who's 69 turning 70 this year, that the sins of my youth still pop up in my mind because I remember things that it's like, I don't remember that. And all of a sudden God brings that so it can be forgiven. Some of you have sins and shame in your life that you need to give to Jesus. You need to say, put your blood on it. Pour it over me. So that you know that you are forgiven. We're going to close with a hymn, At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. Because that's one of the images in the book of Revelation that the lamb that was slain has been raised. The lamb that was slain whose blood was shed is now on the throne.